in the long run, passivity won't pay off. It never pays off. If you want a life of meaning and transcendence, you're going to have to move. Aggression doesn't have to be toxic or damaging. Healthy aggression risks. It builds new things. It breaks through barriers. It's the key to living a life that matters. I'm Brian Tome, and this is The Aggressive Life. Welcome to another episode of The Aggressive Life, where we are trying to get you to a breakthrough. We're really not into aggression for aggression's sake. We're into getting your life to a new place, getting to the next level, getting beyond the muck and the mire of where you are right now. And for many of us, the reason why we are in the muck and the mire is because everyone we know is in the muck and the mire. We're living this kind of life that everybody we know is living. Everybody we know has a High school education, so we have a high school education. Everybody we know has a college education, so we have a college education. Everyone we know works nine to five or eight to six, so we work from nine to five. Everybody we know has the, we're following a script that our parents wrote for us, or if our parents didn't write for us, maybe we've written ourselves, but we've written it for the crew that we run with who are our peer group. We are just like whoever you're with. That's that's what you're like. You're actually average. Sorry to give you bad news. You're average. You are average of the sum total of everybody you spend time with. Look at your friends. Look at your family. You are average of that unit. And I just wonder if we wouldn't benefit from pushing ourselves a little bit. What assumptions are there about how life should be lived that I am living And what if I challenge those assumptions? I was a football player as a younger guy. I'm talking younger as in high school, not good enough to get to college. But one of the things my high school coach said in a little pep talk, he said, said, look, there's three kind of people in this world. The wouldas, the couldas, and the shouldas. And he says, and the shouldas are the bullshitters, is what he said. (laughs) A line always has stuck with me. Because all of us say, well, there's there's some things that I should do, but we keep saying things, but we're not doing things. Saying things isn't the same as doing things. Saying things is never going to make you aggressive. Saying things is never going to cause your life to break out. Saying things is never going to take you to the next level. You have to do things. Not say you should do them, you have to do them. And the people we're going to look at today have been doing things. In 2003, Simon and Lisa Thomas set off on a motorcycle trip, or as they may say, being Europeans, a motorbike trip. And they haven't stopped. The numbers are staggering. 17 plus years, 500,000 miles, 80 countries, six continents, four world records broken, three major accidents, one broken neck. But this wasn't always the plan. Simon and Lisa were successful business people in the UK, and a series of events led them to want a different script for their life. They didn't just dream about it. They didn't talk about it. They actually went and made it a reality. They made an aggressive move. 
This husband and wife team, considered by many to be the world's foremost adventure motorcyclists, have been documenting their incredible life and adventures under the name To Ride the World. That's two as in number two. They're also authors, photographers, motivators, public speakers, and world-renowned travelers, and they have plenty to teach us about what it takes to grab your life by the throat. These are dream guests for me. Uh, they become quasi-friends with me over the last couple years. We'll get into that in a minute, so I'm excited to say, Simon Lisa Thomas, welcome to The Aggressive Life. Hello. <laughs> that was probably one of the best introductions I've ever heard. Wow. Well, I'm so excited that you feel... I'm not sure we can live up to all that. You can live up to all that because you are that. So give people, in, in just your own words, like, what does a normal year look like for you? And then I'll maybe talk about how we got to know each other a bit. What's a normal year look like for Simon and Lisa? You know what? If we've, if we've, if we've done this right... There is no normal year because I think a normal year for most people requires a degree of consistency. And one of the things I love about our lives is that the only consistency we have is, is, that, is well, <laughs> A, that we're together um, and we appreciate that whatever plans we have, typically they change and they go out of the, win out of the window. The consistent for us is travel, keeping on the move, and I think appreciating it. Um, I think a really big part of us staying on the road um, is our ability to stay grounded and appreciate what we're doing. Because the minute you take it for granted, it loses that that specialness. Yeah. Got it. I agree. You agree? And Lisa, how long have you been riding right now? Um, on this trip, it's, uh, it's approaching 17 years. Uh, for me, um, how old am I? Um, I've been riding for 42 years. 42 years. So I started when I was 16. How old are you? I'm, was... I'm looking at you at Skype right now. How old are you? You do not look like you're much over 42 and a half. Oh, I love you. You are so I love you. Smooth. So if you, I started riding when I was 16 and I've been riding for 42 years. Wow. Good for you. I got into motorcycling when I was in college. I tried to get into motorcycling. I just was riding people's motorcycles without any license. Didn't know what the heck I was doing. All rear brake all the time. No one taught me how. I, can't, I had a, a number of accidents. Can't believe I didn't kill myself. Put away a motorcycle until, uh, well, I got married. And as soon as we got in a financial problem, which was like month two of our marriage, I sold the motorcycle. Never was back into biking until like mid thirties. And it was merely because we were with some couples. We were going to go to Vegas and rent motorcycles and cruise around. And so I did that. And what do you know? What do you know? I, I liked it. And so I did a Harley for a while and then I got boring and I, I went to adventure motorcycling. I got into a BMW 1150 GSA and then a 1200 GSA. And then I went to one of these like events I'd never heard of before. Horizons International, Horizons Unlimited. Horizons Unlimited. Yeah. Yes, they have. Uh, I, I don't know anything about it. I just went down to the Smoky Mountains. I think it was in Georgia that year or somewhere about or Tennessee, wherever it was. And I was like, I got the weekend off. I'm going to go down and check it out. My mind was blown. I mean, utterly blown. I, th I thought that I was a biker. No, I was not. I was just a weekend warrior. Interact with people who would work just long enough to earn money, to put gas in the tank and food in their stomach 
and then they were gone. And that that blew my mind. And I came back from there really challenged. Not that, okay, I need to take this on for my life. Not that I need to travel the world, but challenged of what what are the assumptive scripts that I have for my life that I'm living by that I should just not live by? I assume you've mastered that discussion and you can help us out today. Everyone is brought up. It doesn't matter where they are in the world. You're all brought up. You get married. You have children. You become responsible. You have to look after your children. You have to make their lives better for them than yours is. And that can be anything regardless of where you are in the world. Um, And we haven't done any of that. And that's not because it's not important. But I think, I think if people take a really cold, hard look in the mirror, look at their lives and go, okay, what inherently brings me joy? Not what makes me happy, because that's different. But what inherently brings me joy? Is it painting a picture? Is it going on a really long motorcycle ride? Is it just hanging out, spending time with friends? Ultimately, the more moments of joy you have, the happier you become. Because happiness, for me, describes the end game. It, that, that, that's the long game. And that's too big a picture. You know, when you talk to somebody, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to be happy. It doesn't mean anything. It, it's just not realistic to walk around, you know, absurdly happy the whole time. So what can I do to take more control of my life to increase those number of, of the, those moments where I feel joy, whether it's with a loved one, whether it's on a motorcycle, whether it's starting a business, starting, starting a new family. Or, or having a family. So let's go back to when you guys were both living relatively normal lives. You're in business. Take us way sure. back and like, what made you decide to take the step? And and I, we're going to talk a little bit about motorcycling today. But really, the, the the thing I don't hear people talking about with you all is how did you, things like how did you make that transition? How did you know you needed to make that transition? What were the demons yeah. you had to slay? The fearful things because fear is an illusion; it's not real. What were the things that you had to slay to get you to step out into this unknown? Take us back decades ago. What was going on before you stepped into a new world? You know what the the the, the fears that we felt back there, back then, were real to us at the time. Um, and, I, and I agree with you, fear is not real. Um, it's just the fear of what might be. 17 years fast forward, we realize that once you step out of your comfort zone, the opportunity for truly great things to happen and to be part of your life are equally as great as the negative things that you think might happen. But Lisa and I basically followed, followed a script. We, we did the school, the university, mm-hmm. the working the absurdly long hours, doing the one to two and a half hour commute. Yeah. Uh, we then started our own businesses and we had a degree of financial stability. But here's the kicker. We sat down on far too many evenings and we would, you know, ask each other, are you happy? And there was always that pause until we went, um, um, yeah, yeah, sure. You kind of convince yourself almost because it's what you're meant to do. It's what you're meant. It's what you're meant to do. Um, I mean, the reality is that 
I had I had I had a, I had several pairs of handmade shoes. I had a I had a handmade wardrobe, an American cherry. We had we owned we owned the things that were meant to dictate a level of happiness. And well, you mean things didn't, didn't bring you happiness? Wait, wait, wait. Are you are you saying that we can't go out yeah. and just put things on a credit card and be happy? Because you're blowing my American mind right now. I've never heard of these things you were talking about. Talk talk more, please. Here's the weird part. I describe I describe us as we are not new age hippies. And the more I listen to the word came out of, out of uh, my mouth. Now, bear in gr- mind, you have granola. Not- granola is dripping all over you. I just say granola <laughs> is just coming out of your. It's- <laughs> I want to go and eat so far right now. I have homemade oh, You do. Oh, my here. God. Friends, friends, we're yeah, watching each other while they're in England. They're sipping wine, eating homemade rye bread inside their love shack in the middle of the woods. Yes, these people are true blue, wonderful people. <laughs> but the, but it's, the, the, I, it, was, it was such an awakening for us that, that let's get one thing straight. We like nice stuff. Nice stuff is cool. Let's make no make no bones about the fact that we're now riding around the world on two of the most expensive adventure bikes on the planet. Uh, she's on an F800 uh, BMW. I'm on an R1200. Nice stuff's cool. But you have to have a degree of perspective. And going going way back, we would, we would take two weeks vacation. We would take a month vacation. I owned a business. Lisa was back at university. And I remember we were sat in France. We were uh, two nights away from coming back to the UK. And we were sat around a campfire. And I'd taken the metal panniers off my motorcycle. And I'd put them onto a log fire. The metal panniers, they were empty. We took two bottles of white wine. And we bought an obscene amount of langoustine, like mini lobster, some garlic, some cream. They that probably cost us five or six dollars, and we cooked it all up inside the metal pannier on, on a fire. Who cooked it up? You did. You're awesome. Okay. And we had one of the most simple but memorable meals of our lives. And, and we sat down. Was, we went, are, yeah. "Are we happy?" And then in that instant, we both went, mm. "Yeah." We were in a tent. It was cold. We had no mod cons, but the food, the flavor of life, felt real. It was. Tangible. And I think that got us to thinking. Um, we'd been away, I think that then we'd been away maybe three weeks, something like that. And we we went, well, perhaps we can do it a little bit longer. I don't want to go home. I don't want to go back to what I'm doing. Um, the responsibilities that are there. And we had all the normal responsibilities that every young married couple had, as, as though we were going to be planning for a, a family as though we were going to be saving up for children, putting them through college and university, et cetera, like a lot of our friends were doing at the time. Um, but that wasn't going to happen for us. I, I have a few medical complications, and so that was not um, a possibility for us. But we were working as though we were striving towards the same goal, and we weren't. And so we were sitting back going, we're going to go back. We're going to go back into our jobs, back into education, back into you know, learning exams and is it making us happy? We want to do what we're doing right now, sitting around a fire, living a very basic life. We want to do that for longer. And by longer, at that point, we said three months. 
And then the idea of three months off became six months. And then we began to look at the sacrifices and the commitments that that actually meant in terms of staff, companies, business, mortgages, et cetera. Um, and we said, okay, well, you know what, well, based on that, let's, let's do a year. So we'd had a few other issues along the way that, that made us come to that final decision. Simon's mother was diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer. Um, my father had a quadruple heart bypass. And you were recovering from a very serious accident. I had a, I had a motorcycle accident uh, three weeks after picking up my first BMW. Um, and the result of that accident was five major surgeries, uh, almost losing my right foot and spending almost two years wow. bedridden. So that's an, awful, that's an awful long time to reevaluate and think. Um, and so we, we basically chose to take a year off. Uh, we planned this, this ridiculous adventure, um, having no real clue as to what it was really going to mean for us, other than it was going to be challenging and fantastic in the most, you know, romantic of ways and all the, and all the nonsense that you imagine will go so along with So you planned it while you were um, recovering from your, from your accident? Yeah. yeah. And the plan, the plan was to spend a year on the road, seeing all these countries, you know, ticking all these boxes and then to return to the UK and to pick up our, our lives um, with the idea that we'd be refreshed. That just didn't happen. Um, the bottom line is, I was asked only a couple of days ago, well, why are you still on the road? And the simplest answer is this. Living in our tent, seeing the world, having the opinions that we have today based on first-hand experience, Lisa and I like who we are as individuals more today than we did with all the stuff as the people we were before. So... What about those of us who don't like motorcycles or those of us who are not going to do an extreme rewrite of life like you did? Are there transferable principles for the person who is still going to keep their day job of how they can have some of the breakthroughs that, that you've had? Because you're, you're basically, yeah. this isn't, you're really not about motorcycles, though the three of us love motorcycles. No. You're really about breakthroughs here, right? And so for someone to have a breakthrough, how, how might you coach or mentor somebody who's never going to get in a motorcycle? That's a perfect, that's a perfect question. I'm, I'm going to give my answer. I don't want to hear what Lisa says. Um, the simple answer is this has nothing to do with our journey and this has nothing to do with motorcycles. The biggest kick, the biggest sense of reward is control. We took control decisively of our lives and then we made the best of all the good stuff that happened and the bad stuff. Because again, you know, 16, 17 years on the road, we've seen our fair share of, you know, bad luck come our way, um, accidents, injuries, that's part of life. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, what makes me feel proud in terms of how we've lived our lives is that we made a number of decisions and we took control and then we owned what happened. So you're in that. control, you're taking responsibility instead of just drifting along with the current. That's good. How about you, Lisa? 
I, I, I agree. Um, I was going along in life seemingly in control, but I felt like it was being dictated to me. I don't like By it. what? Just, just because of society and what's expected from you. And I don't like being told what to do. I never have. And I'm a control freak. And I still am. And I like to make my own decisions. And so did you think you were making your own decisions? In all, no, in all, in no. All? I never felt like I was making my own decisions. I was just following the track, the set down track that, that you all trundle along. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you're very happy in doing that, 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 is, that is great. But I was not very happy in doing that. And either, either good or bad, I found somebody who thought and reacted exactly the same way as I did. Um, and that was the catalyst, I think, that we were able to just head off in a slightly different, jump off those rails and go and do our own track. But when, but when we jumped off, yeah. we jumped off under the, under the premise of it's going to be a temporary jump. We never thought we were jumping off the rails for good. No, that's right. It was a, <coughs> it, it was, it was jump off and see where it takes us Yeah. and have, a, it was a mental break that I needed. It was this break from the normal treadmill. That's a great word. I think one of the things that we both we both loathed was being in being in England. It, it's beautiful. It's fantastic. We're far more patriotic today than we ever were prior to starting our journey. But the treadmill of cleaning your teeth at six in the morning, getting the first coffee at six thirty, thinking about getting to work or getting on the road at quarter to seven jumping in the car, starting it up, the hour commute to work, knowing where you're going to be, more or less for every hour of the day until you find that one tiny moment in the week that you can claim to be yours. Yeah, that just wasn't doing it for us. Um, Boy, you're just depressing. You're depressing a lot of us right now. You do know that. <laughs> you're, descri <laughs> you're describing our lives. <laughs> Well, the thing is, the thing is, if you're depressed about it, here's the cool thing. If you're depressed about what I've just described, the wonderful thing is that each of us have the ability to a lesser or greater degree to make changes. And they haven't got to be big changes. Yep. I think it's finding that one thing that really lights you up, that really either mentally stimulates you, physically stimulates you, um, and brings you that shot of happiness or joy, as Simon was saying. Um, and then latching onto that and figuring out, okay, if walking out of my front door and going for a run with my, my dog for an hour makes me really happy, then let me make sure that I do that every single night and then spend longer. Or, or being, being with your kids, playing with your kids, for an hour every night. Let's make sure that yeah. I put that time aside rather than I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I can't do it, I've got a headache, I've got too much to do. Put that, the other stuff can wait. Yeah. Make sure you capture that moment of joy and, and, and realize what it is and follow it through. I'm a big fan of just trying things. Just trying things. Yeah. It's one thing to do an overall rewrite in your life that's going to be permanent. It's another thing 
to just try something that you haven't tried before. Maybe there's something else that's going to turn your crank. Maybe you need to get out of your rut yeah. by doing a one-month experiment. I'm not finding people yeah. aggressively try anything in order to have a breakthrough. I'm just finding people justify their current patterns they're in right now. Yeah. But that's what mo- but that's what most people do. I mean, we've got we've got fantastic friends around the world, and we have the same conversations. Most people will happily go along under the guise of, "Well, I'm going to live my life based on it's better the devil you know." My response is, "No, it's still the devil. If you are not finding those moments of joy, this is not a do-over." If you, if you look at wherever you are in your life right now, if you're past the age of 25, look at where you are in your life and look honestly and look calmly. And then think, right, when I was 16, 17, and I, I was in my head immortal, and I, I knew that the world was ahead of me. If I told my 16-year-old self, this is where I was going to be, would I be excited, happy, or proud? And if the answer is no, make some choices. Now, bearing in mind, the choices are not going to be easy. Yep. There's no point us suggesting that, oh, you can just change stuff. Right. Because the bottom line is the minute you look to change something, there are consequences right. and there are sacrifices. But most people simply don't appreciate how many small moments of joy they might feel with just some small changes. It doesn't have to be night and day. I actually don't know anybody um, that made this night and day change um, to change their lives overnight. People ask us all the time, you know, why did you go on the road for so long? And my point is, we didn't. We didn't. We we set out thinking we were going to make a temporary change. And as in life, you, you go into life, and if you've got a few smarts about you, you then course correct as you go. Yep. Constant course correction a thousand times a day. We are still doing that. But the reality is that today, yeah, we are, yeah. We are, the, we are happier for the choice that we made. Yeah. We all have the ability to make choices, and unfortunately, few of us are making them. Uh, Simon and I got to know each other couple years ago, he was contacting me when I made one of my choices. Every summer, I take off six to eight weeks. And I've been doing this now for, that's just one of my blocks of time away from my normal job. And um, people say, oh, it must, must be nice, must be nice. My response is, yeah, it is nice. It's very nice. You, 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 you want to try it. You, you could do this. I know your place of employment, I tell folks, you can purchase vacation days. You, you could do that. You don't have to have Netflix or Prime, Amazon if you want. You, you, you have plenty of levers. You just don't want to pull any. And uh, Simon yeah. c- connected me because uh, I had invented a part called the stance clamp. And I, I've, never, I've never apologized to you this, uh, for this, Simon. I will right now because Simon, so I, he contacted me and you know, to, to ride the world. I'm one, and I, I didn't know who you were. I didn't know, and to, I didn't know nothing about your reputation. All I knew is I was on my off time, and 
I was trying to vet you, and we we wasted about a month of back and forth. If we had been cl- sooner to the market on that, you and I could have made a lot more jack if we'd gone through your contacts. I just apologize for that. I I didn't know you didn't trust you, but it was because I was in like I was in shutdown mode, you know. So that's my apology to you. I was wrong. <laughs> we should have made a lot more jack than we made a lot more jack, but it was also because I was on an off season, and we can all do we can all have these off seasons. It doesn't matter. The thing is, here's, here's the kicker. And by the way, apology not accepted because it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. You didn't just sit by and go, well, I'm going to wait till somebody else comes up with a solution and then just do it. You went, well, I think I know a solution and I'm going to get off my ass and I'm going to then design it and produce it. My connection to you was, I think this is robust. I think it makes sense. And I think we can get it into the hands of people and make their motorcycling safer. And okay, we didn't make a shit ton of money. But you know what? What we don't know is how many people didn't have fatal accidents because of what you created. Amen. And the reality Amen. is, even if it's just one person, it was all worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you, brother. It was all worthwhile. I, I, think, I think it was fantastic. No, it was it was it was fun. I wish I would have known who I was talking with way back when. I was talking to an actual hero. I was actually talking to the gods of motorcycle adventure. I wish I had known that with both you guys, especially you, Lisa. Let's talk you for a moment. You know, I'm looking at you, and you know, some people might think, well, someone who spends all their life on the road and brushes out of a creek or whatever, this has got to be a woman that's got warts all over her face and. She's just, you know. I've hidden them very, very well. <laughs> no, you, we should. Here's a little moisturizer. Yeah, she, you, you are, you are a very feminine woman. You are obviously a very, very strong woman. You are defying some categories for how a woman would lead her life or how a woman would script her life. Do, do you see yourself as an inspiration for other women to follow? Oh, you better say yes. Um, if you don't see it, I'll speak for you. <laughs> yes, of course, darling, I do. <laughs> um, I I find that I, I find it difficult to say yes, but I I think yes. Um, I was I was brought up to be very um, modest and and not to. You are very English. Not to boast. Yes, it's a very English thing. Um, they, we, as, as Brits, we, we we get taught. Well, at least our generation. To play everything down. Yes. You know, to 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 to, to minimize the tallest it. poppy um, seed gets cut else. down first. Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah. And and the problem um, problem um, or one of the character traits of British is that you don't want to build yourself up too much because somebody will cut you down. We can be very cutting and very sarcastic to each other, um, and so you can be very non-committal. Um, and I think that's how I was brought up. Um, but I, like, I, I hope. Let me let me let me, let me ask you. Seen. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to add on to Brian. Yes. So I can tell you categorically that a lot of women find you very inspirational. Mm-hmm. But you have a problem believing you're inspirational because you don't think you've done anything special. No, not really. You don't think you've done anything that anyone, male or female, that can put their mind to and and do. Um, it's it, to me, it's just like I've ridden a motorcycle. Well, anybody can ride a motorcycle, um, and I've ridden it quite a long way. Um, what, 503,000 miles? And I've ridden through a few deserts, 
because I like deserts, 27 actually. deserts. We're going to get to the lightning round in yes. just a moment. Yeah. We changed it. It's now 36. It's, it's gone up a bit. Yeah. Yeah, we counted it up. Yeah. But Lisa genuinely believes that Lisa genuinely believes that it's, it's, it's doable, and it's, All right, let, it's, let, she doesn't think she's done anything special. Let's the two guys gang up on the woman right now. Two guys gang up on the woman. It, listen, listen, it's not, about what you, it's not about what you could do. It's not about what you can do. It's about what you do. And Lisa, no one, no one who has ovaries has ever done what you're doing and has done. Nobody. Oh, I don't have those anymore. Oh, you don't have those. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Appropriately buzzed. All right. Hey, let's take a break here. Let me tell you, this episode is brought to you by Groove Life. You can get 15% off your next silicone ring or watch band at GrooveLife.com. The promo code is TOME15. Right now, I'm wearing one of these rings. I've been wearing these rings, one of these rings nonstop for a long time. So if you want to try one of these out, they're pretty darn cool and affordable. You can use promo code TOME15 and you can get 15% off. All right, let's go into and end our time with our lightning round. Okay, so here's what lightning round is. I say something and then you answer as quickly and as shortly as possible. Can you do that? Oh, I can, but I'm not sure about Simon. All right. We'll give it it a go. All right, here we go. Here we go. Scariest moment of your travels? The singular moment when I believed that I was not going to get out of the Amazon and keep Lisa safe. Seeing Simon fall headfirst off the bridge in the Amazon and going, holy... All right, this is really awful because I said this was the lightning round, and I want now I want to hear more about everything they say. Crap, it doesn't work that way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna oh, should I go back and ask them about the? Go ahead. Okay, I already broke the rules. Amazon. What are, are you talking about? Like twenty foot pythons are slithering through the trees trying to get to you. What, what are you? What are you talking about here? Um, I designed a route through the Amazon, which is um, going up the Amazon. Um, it was a route that had never been attempted by large capacity bikes. We thought we were up to it. We planned, we prepped. The water basin was the lowest it had been for 25 years. We knew there were sections that we were going to have to use ropes and pulleys to get our bikes across. On the morning of the second day, we faced a bridge that hadn't been used for 20 years. The jungle had reclaimed it. There was no way over the river. Um, I decided to take both bikes across. Um, There was no way of walking the bike because the wood was just so rotten. We spent two hours cutting down wood to reinforce the bridge. Anyway, long story sideways, the bike got up, the bike slipped, the wood gave away. I ended up falling headfirst about seven feet into the uh, rocky undergrowth. The bike spit on the bridge, thank heavens. Um, I landed on my head, and the last thing I remember is the helmet compressing onto my shoulders. I was unconscious for about an hour, hour and 20 minutes. Lisa took care of the situation, took care of me. Um, She'd already had to rationalize. If I did not regain consciousness, she had to leave me there and return to the nearest town, which was 220 miles north. Having seen a Jaguar the night before, that meant that she realized that there was no chance of her returning and my body still being there. 
you become very practical. Um, when there's nobody there to help you, you, um, you don't panic. You run around in circles screaming, help me, help me, when there's lots of people around to help you. But when there's actually nobody, you have to become very logical and... And very hard. And very, yeah, very... Very pragmatic. Yeah. And so you assess the situation and you figure out what things to do first and... Um, this wasn't the worst part, by the way. The, difficult, the interesting part, and actually the part of the journey that we are the proudest of, the accident happened on the morning of the second day. We had to ride through the jungle for another week and a half to two weeks uh, before finding um, a human population. And it was a three-week ride to get to a hospital in Sao Paulo. Um, and at that point, I was blind in my left eye, um, completely paralyzed on my left-hand side of my body. Lisa had malaria. She still towed me out of the jungle. And when I say jungle, I mean where it's so close that it's snagging the bars of the bikes. And the mud is over your knees. And you're over, over your knees. <laughs> um, it was the most harrowing and probably the most painful thing we've ever done. But when we look back at it, I think we also look back on that part of the journey with the greatest degree of pride. Wow. <laughs> Maybe we should just close in prayer right now. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't be here. Wow. It wouldn't have made it out. That's amazing. How how are you riding a motorcycle when the left side of your body is paralyzed? It was great difficulty. He kept falling off, which made me angry. Um, it, he would strap. You guys, you guys call them cable ties. Zip ties. Zip ties. Zip ties. Zip ties. Okay, so we put we put um, two large ones on the left hand side, and we zip tied uh, my gloves and therefore my fingers to the handlebars. Other than that, we were in first and second gear, and I was passing out five or six times a, a day just time, for the pain. I would fall over and a lot me of the time you weren't in any gear because your bike wasn't working either. So he wasn't working, his bike wasn't working, but I was, and my bike was working until his dead weight and the bike would just fall over at one point and pull me over into the mud. So it was a long, arduous, I, I really don't know how we did it. When so we when we, we actually got to the hospital, the first thing we were treated was, was wasn't the broken neck or the malaria. Um, it was the fact that we had larvae um, embedded in our skin, our legs. And we both had trench foot <laughs> because for three weeks we hadn't been dry. Yeah. This is the stuff that you don't read about in the magazines or... Um, or what the pictures are. <laughs> yeah. But the reality is that, yeah, we, I mean, a, lot of it, a lot of it's a blur just because of the situation. But we've got through it. Well, what I find inspiring about that is you made it. You, you, you made yeah. it. That was just one of your adventures. I, I think part of why we don't take more risks and have more breakthroughs is we think that if we don't have the breakthrough, we're going to actually be broken. No, we're actually more hardy than we possibly can imagine. We can survive so, bankruptcy. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people doubt themselves. And um, you uh, really, the human body and the human mind is so strong, strong. absolutely strong. And you can go and you can reach right into yourself and pull out all sorts of amazing, amazing resources. things and resources to, to make it carry on. You carry on. Most, most people genuinely do not understand how capable they are. Life is not meant to be safe. Life is meant to be lived. It's not about racking up, you know, a hundred 
sedentary years. Um, given the choice between that and 30 or 40 real years that are full of moments of joy, of challenge, of success and failure, well, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the latter every single time. It's not who goes the longest, it's who lives the best. Damn straight. My gosh, buy that man a drink. My goodness. God bless America and God bless England, too. This is great, this is great stuff. Oh, that was only round one of the lightning round. All right, we'll see if I get if I get Waylon. Okay, back to lightning round. Back, all right, here we go. What's so great about it is this is not theoretical, motivational sayings for you all. You freaking went over head first in the Amazon. You had scurvy. You had... Uh, you know, you had leeches on your, you know, on your private parts. You had all kind of stuff that's real stuff. Okay, here we go. Um, highest altitude ridden, 17,230 feet. Go. Um, I got a little ill, actually, at that time. Uh, it, it turns out that I can't cope with altitude very well. Um, and so I think Simon can remember an awful lot more of that than I can. <laughs> That was that was uh, that was the Bolivian Altiplano, which is the second highest plateau on the planet, an area of outstanding natural beauty. But yeah, at seventeen thousand plus feet, the air gets pretty thin. The bikes were fine; they both fuel injected. We were just lagging. Because um, it went up a little further than the main plateau, which is yeah. why we went up to seventeen thousand feet, uh, just because we thought that we could. As it turned out, I couldn't. But you did. But you did. But you did. Um, yeah, no, we did. I mean, part, part of our part of our gig was to try and reach the highest point on each on each continent. Um, but the highlights so far, yeah, Bolivian Altiplano, the colours and the landscape are just breathtaking, literally. Hottest temperature ever ridden. Oh, that's easy. Oh, easy, easy. That is okay. That was sixty-two <laughs> degrees, which is a hundred and. It's something ridiculous, like 147, and it wasn't Africa, and it wasn't South America. It was one. It was one block down from the Strip in Las Vegas. Oh, I've ridden that one. Sorry. That is the worst. I mean, when you when you it drive was, into Las Vegas, man, it, your your bars are just baking. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It was. It was. Oh, I don't know. Three, four, five years ago, it was basically the second highest recorded temperature in Las Vegas. Now that's at the uh, the Met Office uh, Center at the airport. In the and, it, and it was 111. But the real temperature on the blacktop in traffic Actually, was sat on the mud. That's right. It was, it was 162. 162. It yeah. was so hot that the highways were open, but they closed all of the on-ramps because the black melting. asphalt was melting. So all of the on-roads were just closed. Uh, hotels closed because they were concerned about the foundations. It was utterly I would, ridiculous. I, I would love to say that it was in some kind of, you know, a desert in the middle of nope. the Sahara, but no, no, it wasn't. Las it was Vegas. Wow. Three major accidents. 1997, my Your ankle, leg ankle, yes. ankle accident, the yes. leg. Foot almost ripped off. Uh, Simon's broken neck and my smashed in face. Only yeah. two, uh, a year ago. A year ago, a year and a half ago in Jamaica. See, there again, I want to, you're smashed in face. All right, yeah. I'll buy uh, it. What like is your smashed in face? This is my smashed in face, look. <laughs> I can't, does it look different, Simon? Broke her nose really badly in two places, cracked eye socket and cheekbone. Oh, okay. Whew, all right. And my nose was on my other side of my face, but there you go. Well, I couldn't tell by looking at you, Lisa. Malaria. <laughs> Not nice. 
Any, anyone that ever says, oh, I've had malaria, it wasn't that bad, bullshit, you had man flu. Um, malaria... You wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy, or maybe I would. Uh, you would. <laughs> malaria is... We had, we had one of the weaker strains. Um, had the windows been opened on the hospital that we finally found, we would have jumped to get out of your own skin. Um, you are shaking one minute so violently that the teeth are rattling out of your head. And I then remember moments of panic because then my temperature rose so quickly and so aggressively that I knew I was going to pass, pass out. out yeah. When it's rising that much that you know you're going to pass out and you go, am I going to come around again? Will it, will it be okay? Will I, will I regain consciousness? Yeah, malaria, feel, malaria is bad. You want to die. And that was the mild malaria that we had. Twice. <laughs> One broken neck. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. <laughs> um, yeah, that was not so good. Oh, that was the Amazon. That was the Amazon story. That was that was, that was the Amazon yeah. jungle. Um, um uh, just just to put it into perspective, um, we all know Christopher Reeve and um, the, old, the, old the old Superman. The break that he had when he was riding his horse and jumping uh, was exactly the same break that Simon had. Wow. It turns out that the loss of sight in my left eye was because my C6 vertebrae was crushing my spinal cord. Mm. So I was, literally a, I was literally a fraction of a millimeter away from being in the dead or paralyzed. Yes. But, but I didn't know it. And ignorance yeah, is bliss. Exactly. And you, you, and you, and you carry on because that's what you do. 27 tire punctures. And you know what? Most of those were in India. <laughs> we, were so, we were so proud. For first seven years of our journey, I think we had like four or five punctures. And we're like, oh, this is awesome. These tires are fantastic. Four months in, in India, India, we had like 20 plus punctures. <laughs> oh, wow. It was absolutely ridiculous. We got every so good repairing. And, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, getting good at repairing, um, we would then just give up and go to one of the tire wallers and he would actually take off uh, the tires and mend them all within like two seconds. And he'd take off the tires by using his feet. It's, Amazing. This guy, this guy had a hammer, one tire iron, and two of the largest big toes known to man. Mm. Yeah. With that, he would strip the tire, repair it. The whole thing was done in 15 minutes and it was like $2.00. So I give him five. 783 tanks of fuel. Really, really <laughs> expensive. Really expensive. Actually, although not, and some very, very bad quality, which makes the bike cough a lot, but they've still gone on whatever kind of rubbishy fuel we put in them. If you want to bitch about fuel, go to Venezuela. The first fuel tank we filled up, we were in Venezuela, we crossed from Colombia, we've gone through the, uh, the border, we're in Venezuela. There was a guy, he, all he does is pour, is pour gas. He's smoking a cigarette. The gas is so cheap that before he lifts the pump from the machine, he pulls the trigger. It's already pouring gas. With the gas flowing, he grabs it, and sticks it in your fuel tank. With cigarette in hand. Whilst we're sat on the bike. Wow. And all the time, all we can think of that is those little signs from the gas stations in America and the UK that say, 
please turn off your cell phone. It's dangerous. It might ignite. This guy has a lit cigarette <laughs> in his mouth. We filled up both bikes, which is something in the region of ooh, 18 gallons. And I think we paid $4. Wow. Well, Simon, Lisa, this has been utterly fantastic. I mean, I could, I, I feel like I want to go into every one of your micro stories here. I, I, you've just accidentally said things that I find incredibly stimulating, incredibly, actually inspiring. I, 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 there's so much I would love to mine here, but I can't mine anymore. Maybe we'll have you back sometime. But I know other people are certainly wanting to follow up with you, find out who you are, follow you, yada, 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 yada. How can people connect with you, get involved with what you're doing, follow along? Um, the easiest way is come and have a quick hello at uh, tworidetheworld.com. That's the number two, and then ridetheworld.com. Uh, of course, we have Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube. We don't do an awful lot, but there's some pretty cool videos up there. Um, Instagram's our favorite right now just because we get to put a few words and some really cool photographs or just send us a quick email, say hello. But everything uh, is at to ride the world.com nice and simple yeah and all of our social media I mean, if there's a platform channel well, we've got it um just do a search for to ride the world.com and is there any final word or final final counsel I'll, I'll let you have the last word any any final thing you want to say and if not that's fine we're good sure i'll go first i'm going to hand over to lisa i'm going to go back to something i said earlier we are all more capable than we realize. We are stronger than we realize. If you are not finding that you're having at least a few moments of joy per day, look at what you can change. It isn't easy. There is sacrifice required, but it is possible. Um, no moments of self-doubt. I think, really, I'm just repeating what Simon said Life's in a different way. Life is so very short and big, big yourself up there's more yes. there's more than enough people that will knock you down go out and sing your own praises realize that you're pretty freaking awesome and everybody else should know it because you know what life is short it's for living there's no second go around i was just going to say just do it but i think big, i think a big company has already said that they may have yeah said that. yeah <laughs> all right simon lisa to ride the world.com it's been amazing Thanks for being here on The Aggressive Life. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band judges for the music. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.